Welcome back everyone. It's good to get in touch again after a long, dark start to the year. I took January and February off podcasting. It's a difficult time of year, but light is creeping later into the days now, so here I am again. For this episode, the main feature is a story of mine from 2015, published far away in North America. It's a favourite piece, if I'm allowed to have favourites, which sprang into life as a dedication. I'm into the idea of dedicating work. It's unlikely I'll get to meet many of my heroes, you know, to say thanks. So I figure the best thing to do to show my appreciation is to give a little dedication through my work to those people whose work I adore. It's a small thing, but it can lead to a wider conversation, and that's a fine thing. Before I go into that, I'll speak for a moment about publishing this work abroad. This was my first piece to come out in the US. The States have, of course, a rich culture of literature, and there are hundreds of literary magazines, many in print, many online, all across the country. Having had some stories and poems out in the UK between 2013 and 15, I wanted to start sending work abroad, just to see what would happen, I suppose. We live in fortunate times, and through social media, you can reach out to editors anywhere in the world. Another very fine thing. I knew there exists a great tradition in American universities to run lit mags from within campus, so I set about collecting a list of all the magazines I could find to my Twitter account, starting with the universities. The list has grown to include over 450 worldwide now, It's fascinating to follow, especially right now, with a huge creative response from writers all over the place to the recent political stories of Trump and Brexit and everything so testing in between. You might find more inspiration and empathy away from the hidden shallows of Facebook's meme stream by immersing yourself into such circles. Anyway, I was glad when my story, Cosmothology, struck a chord with the editors of Twisted Vine Literary Arts, a journal run by the Master of Arts Interdisciplinary Studies programme at Western New Mexico University, Silver City, New Mexico. It's a strange feeling to think of your work finding its way to the other side of the world to be read by people you'd never have imagined reading it when you started writing it. I'd encourage every writer who's trying to publish their short stories and poetry to look well beyond their borders when submitting their work. But I'm digressing. I was talking about dedication, and in this case the dedication went to Bjork. I first heard her music, I think, in the summer of 93, when I was just 14, and I was immediately hooked. Bjork's music was full of emotion, and lots of it, and easy to access. As a teenager, I listened to a lot of contrasting music. I loved house music, and listened to it constantly, especially to Sasha and Digweed, and to Carl Cox, and in the same dance vein, The Prodigy. And a lot was coming from America in different genres. Nirvana, of course, Pearl Jam and the Smashing Peas, but also the Beastie Boys, Cypress Hill and the Wu-Tang Clan. Meanwhile, a mate had slipped me a copy of the violin concertos from Prospero's books by Michael Nyman, the tape of which I wore out by overplaying. And I was discovering the doors and reading Jim Morrison's poems and screenplays and listening to music from the 80s, some new romantic stuff, but also talking heads. Then, of course, there was Radiohead, Radiohead and Radiohead and I loved it all. But somehow, standing slightly apart from all of this was Bjork. Why was she apart? Maybe I didn't think of her in the same way as other bands. Maybe I thought of her as an artist even then, pushing boundaries and exploring ideas, and only using music as a medium to lead that exploration. Well, anyway, I had her records and loved the music, but I didn't get to see her play for a long, long time. I rarely went to gigs back then, and relied instead on seeing a lot of bands all at once at festivals. It was at Bestival on the Isle of Wight in 2012, and Bjork was touring her Biophilia album, another great leap forward. She designed and built instruments especially for that LP. She had a full female Icelandic choir. There were animations to accompany the songs, and some spectacular outfits. She even released an app. 
A crowd of thousands swayed hushed under a sky of fast-moving cloud. I remember there was talk of a gale coming in. A particular song from the album later set off ideas within me for a short story, which I'll read to you in a sec. First, though, after it was published in the spring of 15, Goldsmiths, where I studied for my Masters, asked for a short article as an explainer for the work, so I might begin with that. It's from the uni's online alumni pages, Goldlink, and you can find it through the non-fiction section of my blog. It references my time at BIM, Brighton's modern music school, and it's entitled Call and Response. Brighton's stony shore saw us collect at music college. A room full of ripped jeans reflected in the tall walls of an old dance studio. Nervous silence accompanied by tinny noodling on unamplified electric guitars. Of all of the exercises we learnt to enjoy, call and response was a favourite. One led improvising through the scales, and another echoed close behind, climbing, falling, mimicking, mocking, shadowing, Rocking. On Brighton's stony shore, we collected by night to swap stories and discuss our favourite artists, those pioneers who inspired us to follow, to mimic, to audition. The moon, the moon, the moon, the moon, the moon. Heavenly pale conductor who played the pebbles with her wet orchestra of waves as we sat breaking into bands. She saw the quiet crowd years later at Bestival watching windswept from beyond as Bjork and her choir lulled us emotional, hushing with instinctual harmonies, mysterious yet familiar. Time goes on and jamming is rare amongst fleeting days packed with dreary demands and due dates. The hail fall of the keyboard taps a more persistent sound than the evasive blue lilt of the guitar, and craving connection, it's left for wonder, can a writer improvise alone? Without the immediate commands and probes of a partner, of what art can we bounce? On which shores does inspiration still break? Call and response becomes a song played by different players. We look again to those pioneers, returning to the source of our inspiration. The moon sails steady and illuminates the many paths that lead to the sea. 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 To the sea, 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 to the sea. Reading this piece back, it's great to think again about writing as a craft we can improvise with, allowing the work of another artist to inspire you. It needn't be a one-person show. It's okay to be inspired and to feel the nearness of the music and the art, the writing and drama of the work that you love. I have a writing habit to keep a song on repeat sometimes, to zone out to it, and focus on my work whilst the music supplies a rhythm, a chant, a drone, a constant colour for me to work from. For this story, dedicated as I say to Bjork, I listen to her song Cosmology from Biophilia over and over again, letting its howling chorus lines, its brilliant brass, letting its fable-like stories all sink in through osmosis subconsciously as I got my ideas down. The piece is called Cosmothology. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. 
Starlight glistened in crystalline frost, spread over darkened, lichen clifftops all about. A gust tugs at tufts of grass growing tatty from cracks in the rock here and there. The stark stones of the cairn glitter cold as myriad stars twinkle bright beyond. A man and a boy come crunching towards the cliff edge, wrapped warm in coats bleached blue by the pale evening light. Snug faces face the chill amidst scarfs and woollen hats. Together they stand and survey a great shadowy forest flexing below. Pine and fir and spruce creak in pools of gloom, pools of murk. Green is grey at night. The sky is silent, its clarity absolute. Breath steams into a story. You want to know about the universe, about heaven, about earth. The boy nods towards the stars. A mitten folds over the man's gloved hand. Okay, we'll start at the beginning of time. They say the first god was a spider. She lowered herself from a deep black night to cast a net and catch the passage of time. But all she trapped was moonlight, which turned her web to slender silver silk. The moon had taken the passage of time for himself, and he span rapid in the sky, flashing his phases to taunt the spider, wax to wane, crescent to gibbous, new to full, round and round. In answer to these taunts, the spider slipped her silver silk as strings for a harp, which she plucked with the sharp points of her legs, making a mournful melody until the moon slowed melancholy, his sad face transfixed by the song. At last the moon offered to give time in exchange for the instrument, and he hung in the sky, strumming silk strings in calm cadence, showing his phases rhythmically, wax to wane, crescent to gibbous, new to full, on and on. The spider weaved a wonderful web then, its slender silver silk catching moonbeams eternal, music lilting down all around. She placed her hours and minutes and seconds in the corners of her web, and the passage of time was finally caught. And that's how time began. The man squeezes the boy's hand, looking out through the empty air before them. Mist rises from the forest floor, sinuous, drifting, encircling the clifftop, confusing the frost, dabbing drops on web abandoned across the cairn. The breeze fades, the mist quivers, then stills. Wisps turn graceful, ethereal ballerina's wrists. It was after time began that the universe was born. They say a she-wolf awoke one deep black night as the first full moon was rising. She shook snow from her thick fur, looking about the vast empty tundra, stretching bleak before her, moonlight glinting in her golden eyes. She went in search of a mate, passing through endless icy valleys, past sparkling snowy mountaintops, past glaciers made of gemstones. In that entire frozen wilderness, she saw no other living creature, no sign of life at all, only snow and ice. Heartbroken, she wept, and her tears became an arctic sea, littered with icebergs drifting silent through darkness beyond sight. 
Retreating to the tundra, she settled down to die a cold and lonesome death when the plateau around her sighed with a faint chorus of howls falling eerie in the distance. She stood then, her ears pricked up. She sniffed a scent to the sea, where bergs crept back to the bay, each carrying a noble wolf, their proud silhouettes illuminated by the radiant ice. The wolves leapt to land to run as one across the tundra. The she-wolf joined the pack, running side by side with its leader, a great grey with shining ocean eyes. When the pack reached the summit of the tallest mountain, the wolves raised their snouts to howl at the first full moon, singing of their bitter journeys across the Arctic Sea, singing of their longing to unite at last with the nature of their own kind. That howling echoed through endless icy valleys, reverberated round those sparkling snowy mountaintops, and this is how the universe began. The sound intensified until the plateaus quaked, deep ravines opened, volcanic heat burst forth, and the tundra exploded with a huge destructive bang. The scattered gemstones of the shattered glaciers gathered as bright galaxies across the sky. The broken boulders of the mountains formed comets and planets, driven into space by the passion of that sudden blast. The boy leans against the man as mist thickens through the forest to cloud. Nebulous bedding rolls out from the cliff edge, pierced here and there by the drooping wizard's hats of treetops. Into the clear sky, a crooked finger of luminous green bends above, bordered by the red-yellow of peach flesh near the stone. Waves of azure below behind, a celestial sunset at night. Now let me tell you about heaven and earth. They say our world was first an endless serene sea, hidden from heaven by layer upon layer of cold, dense cloud. One deep black night, a tiny fish emerged from the silent depths of the abyss, her faint beating heart blurred beneath soft, translucent skin. Other fish followed, darting skittish left and right, joining a great shimmering shoal swimming up towards the surface. Some stayed see-through, others grew steely scales, some needed sleek fins, others large round eyes, some grew slanted gills, others opened oval blowholes, yet as each one passed away, its fate was always the same. The body drifted down to the depths, the soul flew up and was lost amongst the cloud. The great shoal swam on until it discovered an island. A jungle curved crisp across the horizon, and many fish swam to shore. Once on land, some slithered away on their bellies, others crawled away on all fours. Some took to the trees and flapped from branch to branch, others stood and walked away. Still, when any animal died, its body remained on earth, its soul flew up, lost amongst the cloud. Time passed. Life survived long summers and weathered wide winters, and eventually our ancestors appeared. By now the sky was full of the spirits of the dead. They thronged, tormented, unable to break through the cold, dense cloud to the peace they sought beyond. People looked up at the roiling sky, wishing they could somehow set those lost souls free. Then one day, a boy, he was brave just like you. He began to dance, spinning round with his head bowed down, his arms thrown out by his sides. A dust devil formed at his feet, 
growing in strength to lift leaves, catch clothes, bend branches and tip tiles, till a tornado raged all about, opening a vortex up to the clouds above. The boy kept spinning and a great storm blew outwards from him, a hurricane hurtled west, a typhoon tumbled east, blowing the clouds away until they fell as rain over those first serene seas. The boy lay down, dizzy, dazed, and watched the evening come. He watched light fall from the stars above, watched as the souls of his ancestors found their way finally to heaven, to beauty, to rest, to peace. An owl hoots unseen from the shrouded, subdued forest. A line of web comes loose from the cairn and drifts, a ribbon rippling, the tail of a kite in light wind. The man looks down into the boy's eyes and sees the aurora above reflected, each iris a globe enchanted, each pupil its own deep black night, a saltwater universe ignited within. Thanks for tuning in. The music throughout the episode was me messing about on my keyboard. In case you're worried about the legal things, I've copyright slash permission of all of the material used. You can read more about my work online at jamesbrucemay.blogspot.co.uk. You can also have a look at my YouTube channel by visiting youtube.com jamesbrucemay. And I've started a Facebook author page at facebook.com slash jamesbrucemay. I know, I know. Hidden shallows. I have an Instagram account now with the handle at James Bruce May, and if you'd like to get in touch about anything in the podcast or just to say hello, you can either click on the talk tab on my blog, give me a tweet to at James underscore Bruce underscore May, or send an email to James underscore Bruce underscore May at hotmail.co.uk. Thanks to the editors of Twisted Vine Literary Arts. Hope to catch you again soon. Onwards and upwards. Mm-hmm.